tonight we are going to be halfway through the book of Esther. Uh, so if you have a Bible, open up to Esther chapter 5. Uh, just as a recap, um, King Ahasuerus, um, in chapter 1, we see that he has a confrontation with his wife Vashti. And he is going to uh, kick her out of the kingdom. Chapter 2, we're going to have Esther uh, enter into, uh, quote-unquote, a beauty pageant in which she will become and be crowned queen. Uh, In chapters 3 and 4, we see a plot unfold of Haman, uh, who will rise to second in command. Uh, He is uh, an Amalekite. And because he's an Amalekite and an enemy of God's people, of the Jewish people, we see Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, will not bow down to Haman. And we see a plan come into motion of the annihilation of the Jewish people through the hand of Haman, who gets the signet ring from the king. And that leads us to this week, and we're going to see... um, A tale of two stories, a tale of two plans, two different plans, two different origins. One is by Esther, the other is by Haman. And the purpose of these two plans are completely opposite. We see one plan uh, trying to save the lives of an entire group of people and one plan to wipe out Mordecai, to kill Mordecai, to put him to death. Uh, for his refusal to be able to bow down to him. And so we're going to also see in this um, how God is going to continue just to pour out his favor upon Esther. And uh, throughout this book, uh, that's a word that we've used many different times. Nine times you will find throughout the book of Esther this word favor being used. And that leads us to our big idea of the night. The eyes of the Lord gladly give give strong support to those whose heart is fully committed to him. That comes straight from 2 Chronicles 16.9. And as we look at this text tonight, as we read chapter 5, I want us to put ourselves, uh, position ourselves in such a way that we too, living here in 2020, align ourselves with God in such a way that he pours out his favor on us as well. Because it's not something that just took place in the Old Testament. It's not something that just took place in the book of Esther. We see it all throughout God, uh, God's, uh, with his people as he pours out favor upon his people every step of the way for those whose heart is fully committed to him. So here's our text tonight. Uh, let's start reading in verse 1. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robe and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on the royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. He held out um, to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. When Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. Uh, 
What is your request? Up to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So let's stop right there. Because we're going to see these two plans um, begin to unfold. And we're going to see one immediate plan begin to unfold. Now here's how I want you to look at these two plans. And the first plan that we're going to look at tonight is how can we be used for the kingdom of God? And I want us to see how we can align ourselves in such a way that as we go throughout this life, we can be used, we can find favor with God. So uh, like number one, like Esther, we need to put our faith into action. We need to put faith into action. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Uh, You know, Esther is going to go into the king. Esther has been fasting. Haman has been fasting. All of the uh, people attending to Esther have been fasting. The Jewish nation has been fasting. And we can assume that they have been praying all along the way. And at a great risk to her life, she decides to go into the king. A very bold, a very courageous move. Now, I don't want us to forget that the queen has not even seen the king or been asked to come into the king's presence for 30 days. She hasn't seen him for a month. Um, you might say that that would be hard on a marriage. Uh, the king could kill her in an instant just for coming into his presence. And it's, it was the law. So he would be perfectly in his right to do so. Imagine what is going through her mind. Try to put yourself, what is she thinking And she's just going to put herself out there. I'm going to take this bold stance. She's going to lay her life down on the line. She's going to go for it. And so what happens with her obedience? Smith says it like this. People who hope to be used by God must boldly put themselves in a position where God can work through them. Rather than sitting back, doing nothing, passively hoping or waiting for God to do something. Her fasting... Her praying has led to her faithfulness. And then she takes this step of faith. She puts her faith into action, which leads to number two. Like Esther, we need to experience God's favor. Esther has zero clue what she's walking into. We don't know. She doesn't know if he's in a bad mood, if he's in a good mood, if he woke up on the right side or the wrong side of the bed, how he's going to act. But this is how she approaches it. She fasts, she prays, and she puts on her royal robe, and she goes into his presence. And how does the king respond? He shows her favor. And when this favor is shown, it says she approaches and touches the scepter. You know, I I took this, um, and as one um, of the guys that I was reading through the book of Esther, and, and as one guy said, this was like her saying, okay, you have shown me favor, I don't want to push it. I'm going to go about doing things exactly the way I'm supposed to do them. I'm going to abide by the law. I'm going to go up and do exactly what I'm supposed to do. Don't forget Vashti. She pushed the limits and she was banished. And so Esther's saying, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I'm going to do exactly what I need to do. You know how your children do when they know where your line is and they go try to push you right up to that line? 
that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here with Esther. She responds in obedience to the king, and he responds to her in favor. As much as half the kingdom, you name it, you got it. And somehow the queen, away from his side for 30 days, strolls in, and he says, I will give you anything that you want. What do you desire? Again, I want to remind us of Proverbs 21.1. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You know, God made it to where Esther would receive favor. And that's how we need to see this. It's the favor of God being poured out on Esther and her obedience to God's plan. And if you want to be used by God, number three, like Esther, we need to be selfless. The king is going to offer Esther up to half of the kingdom. You know, this would be a point where if you're, you've been shown favor and it would be very easy for her to save her own life, for her to save her own skin, for her to think selfishly about herself. But she's already started to put things in motion that she re- you see that her focus is on the nation. Her focus is on saving her people, not just herself. Which That leads us to number four. Like Esther, we need to be strategic in our planning. Her life has been spared. Her plan is coming together nicely. Um, they say, it's a very famous statement to say that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. We've all heard that. Esther is no fool. She knows that the way to this king's heart is through his stomach. And so she prepares a meal. She prepares a feast. She prepares wine to drink. She knows what he likes. And she already had the meal prepared. This shows us that she trusted God to save her life. She trusted God to be in this all every step of the way. And she had a plan going forward. With After that takes place, this is what I'm going to do. So she had already put things in motion. She had prepared. Due to her faith in God, due to her trust in God, she was hopeful she would live, and she had a plan. So why did she need to be so strategic? Uh, Here's a few options that came up, and I thought all of these would have been easily a great example of why she needed to plan ahead. But number one, she was going to ask for the reversal of an uh, irreversible law. So he had put into motion, uh, there was an edict to destroy uh, the Jewish people on a certain day. uh, And as it is signed by the king's signet ring, it it cannot be reversed. So in essence, she's hoping that somehow God will be able to reverse an irreversible law. So that's number one of why she is going before the king. B, I mean, two, she would have, uh, he would have lost face. Meaning, if he tried to reverse one of his laws, he would lose a little bit of power with the people. They would begin to not trust him. He can just reverse an edict. How how is that to take place? So he didn't want to lose uh, face with the people. Three, it would have cost him money. We know Haman, in his plan to wipe out the people, uh, he promised the king a lot of money. And so if he does this, if the, the... plan is reversed. It was going to cost him some money. But lastly, I think this is the real reason. She would have to reveal her Jewish identity. Up to this point, 
as far as we read in the text, we, the king doesn't have any idea that Esther is a Jew. She, he knows about the Jewish people. And as we're going to see in a minute, he's going to know that Mordecai is a Jew. But as far as Esther, he does not know her identity as a Jew. So maybe the king would see this as an issue. Maybe he would feel like he's kind of been deceived this entire time. And so this feast that Esther has prepared would be an opportunity to get him out of the throne room, would be an opportunity to get him away from this courtroom type setting and possibly get things set uh, for the right mood so that she could kind of calm him down, get his belly full, get him a little wine in him, and things would go her way, right? So she didn't want to put him on the spot. She definitely didn't want him to react to anything that he was about to, to, that was about to take place. Very strategic, very, I would say she was being very wise. So the king is full, he's, he's, the wine has been uh, flowing, and he's ready to fulfill his wife's request. And so Esther can now spring the trap, right? And so, but as the great theologian Lee Corso says, not so fast, my friend. Verse 7, then Esther answered, my wish and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it please the king to grant my wish to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. You know, a lot of guys um, talked about maybe she was having a fear moment. Uh, why doesn't she pounce? Here's the king. Here's Haman. Here's the king who's shown favor to her. Here's her enemy, Haman. And the time couldn't be more perfect for her to spring the trap. But as we're going to see next week in the following couple of weeks, it could be more perfect. There are some things that God is still working to put some pieces into place that are going to make this situation even worse for Haman. So Esther's plan is going well. You know, this reminds me of a text from Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus tells his disciple, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as wise as serpents and as innocent as, as doves. You know, when we go on mission trips, and um, Chris always prepares us so well how to share the gospel, all these other things. But one thing he does is he makes these little cards. And he says, okay, now when we get to, before we land in Kenya, they're going to give you a visa page. And it's something that you have to fill out. And do not, let me repeat, do not write that you are a missionary on your paperwork. And he puts, here's what you put. You're a tourist. We're going to go see some schools. We're going to go on safari. It's going to be great. We're going to see Kenya. Don't put that you're a missionary. Over and over. Don't, don't, don't. He just, and he tells us. Now, the question is, are we lying? I would say no. You know, we're being subtle in our strategy. Yes, are we putting anything on that paperwork that is a lie? No, we are tourists. We are going to schools. We are going to see the sites. We are going on safari. We're not lying. But we're not being anti-gospel. We know the plan that God has placed before us. We know what we're doing when we go to Kenya. We know that we're going to share the gospel with others. And so we're doing exactly what God has placed us there for. And that's kind of what is happening here with Esther. She is being very subtle in her approach. She's planning strategically. 
and she's putting these, this plan into motion. We're going to see it work out really well. Lastly, like Esther, we should be obedient to the what's of God's plan without fully knowing the why's. We need to, like Esther, be willing to listen to how God is directing our steps every single day, our steps, and be willing to be obedient even when we don't understand. You know, this is very difficult for us in America to do. We flip this around. We want to know the whys before we ever will obey the what's. Esther did not understand how God was going to move in this plan. She knew that she was going to prepare a feast. She knew that she was going to prepare a second feast. She did not know how God was going to act with the king this night. This night, there's going to be some things take place that's going to change it. We're going to talk about that next week. I don't want to get too far ahead. But she was obeying God with the what's, without knowing the why's. And so it's just like in Acts, when the angel told Philip, I want you to get up, and I want you to go uh, south on the road, down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. He doesn't tell him why, he just says go. And it's a desert, so maybe he's telling him how to prepare, how to, how to dress, whatever. But he says, you're going on a desert place, so go. Doesn't tell him why. And because of Philip's obedience, he's able to share the gospel with an Ethiopian man. And I didn't put this in your notes, but you can write this down. We have to obey the what, even if God never gives us the why. God has told us some things that we need to do to be faithful to him, to be obedient to him. And we have to obey those things, even if we never get the answer of why. In everything that God has called us to, the tasks, the purposes that he places in our lives, uh, and as we talked about last week, the specific things, the general things, we have to be able to obey in order to experience the favor that God gives. And I want to be very clear when I talk about favor. I'm not talking about having your best life now. I'm not talking about you know, that perfect house that you want or the new car that you want. Uh, the favor of God I'm talking about is living a life of obedience to God that is pleasing to God, obedient to his word, and we align our lives with that. And if we want to experience God's favor, that's what we have to do. I think of Stephen in the New Testament. You know, Stephen uh, was to very much like Esther, put his life on the line to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to some guys that did not want to hear the gospel. And he's going to put his life on the line. And guess what? It's going to cost him his life. And as he's being stoned by these guys, um, he sees the Son of Man standing. There's not many times you will ever see a reference of Jesus after he's ascended into heaven standing. But in this moment, he's standing. And, Steve, and Stephen sees him that way. You know, and, and I just want to, as I think about that, I'm just like, you know, I think he was standing because he was really proud of Stephen in the stand he chose to take, even in this difficult time. Usually when you see Jesus, he's sitting at the right, right hand of the Father. But in this moment, he was standing. 
Because I think he was standing for Stephen and he was doing exactly what God had asked him to do. The kind, that's the kind of favor that we're seeking in our lives. To boldly take action without knowing the why. So we know a little bit about how to live for the kingdom of God. Let's look at how to not be used for the kingdom of God. Let's continue with verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyfully and glad of heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman uh, restrained himself, went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions in which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the, uh, above the officials and the servants of the king. And Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Okay, I'm going to stop right there just for a second. I told Landon I added this to the sermon tonight. And that, this made me think of the Landon's favorite hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. <laughs> I want you to just think about what Haman is saying. He gathers his family, he gathers his friends, and he is seriously looking at, look at all of these accolades that I have. Look at all this stuff. I have every reason in the world to be proud. This next word, yet. It's a dangerous word. Let's keep reading. Yet, all this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Well, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully to the king of the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he, made the gall he had the gallows made. So Haman's rise to the top has come. But as we know, if you've read ahead, Haman's downfall is coming very quickly as well. He's having one of the greatest days ever. The queen has invited you to a feast. The only two people she invited was you and her husband. That's pretty awesome. That's what an honor. And he's going to leave with joy and gladness in his heart. That's a good day. But Haman let one man change his mood. One man. So let's look at how not to be used for the kingdom of God. Number one, you fuel your selfishness. We should always stop and ask ourselves, in what or whom do I have joy in this life? In one of the last times that Jesus would speak to his disciples, Jesus tells them, John 16, 22, it says, You also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You know, only Jesus can bring true joy in this life that we experience in this life. And the battle every single day for our joy rages on. Um, so we need to stop, look at our lives, and ask ourselves, in whom or in what am I finding true joy? You know, it could be any number of things. Um, 
I know sports teams in the state of Texas haven't given us much to have much joy over. So what is giving us joy? And here's the deal. Haman wanted nothing more than honor and respect from the very person who wouldn't give it to him. And he goes, I mean, think about these. This is some of the saddest verses you'll ever read. I have everything. Anything a man could ever want. Yet, it's all worth nothing to me. We have to guard against making an idol of ourselves or anything else. All of those things will fail to make us happy. Which leads us to number two. If you want to not be used for the kingdom of God, you think only of yourself. Haman is going to fall into this trap thinking that he is better than everyone else. Um, why not think, think that? I mean, you just got an invitation from the queen. You and the king were the only ones to participate in that feast. Exclusive company. Great power. I can imagine as he sits and he leaves dinner and there sits Mordecai. You know, I don't want us to miss the fact that Mordecai knows what's coming. Mordecai knows the edict has been signed. He knows that his people are under a death sentence. And yet he refuses to even tremble before Haman. He's like, nah, I'm not giving you the time of day. And it just infuriates Haman. And he loses it. All of this pride, thinking only of himself, and he completely loses this. Prime says this, Pride is, the one, is one of the greatest sins because it makes us treat God's gifts, gifts as if they right, rightfully belong to us and were created by us. Our pride robs God of his right to be acknowledged as the source of all the good we know and enjoy. Pride has completely consumed Haman, filled him with anger, and it's leading him down a very destructive path, path uh, which leads us to number three. Surround yourself with foolish people. If you don't want to be used a part of God, to be a part of God's plan, you surround yourself with foolish people. Haman goes home. He speaks with his family and his friends about the situation. Um, he's going to get some bad advice. One writer wrote, and I couldn't find who wrote this, but he said, they would have been better friends to him if they would have warned him of the danger of wounded pride and where it would lead him. But his friends and his family are going to contribute to his anger issues, contribute to his pride issues, and they're going to give him some bad advice. You know, we need people who will speak truth to us, even when we don't want to hear it. Even when, especially when we don't want to hear it. But because he surrounded himself with these people, they are going to just add fuel to the fire that is already a wildfire to begin with. Number four, devalue others. Devalue others. Proverbs 12, 15 says, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to, the count, to counsel is wise. I take that second part and I say, unless you're getting it from a bunch of fools, in which Haman is. Haman feels like his happiness and his desires are more important than Mordecai's life. He has put zero value on Mordecai's life and his happiness is more important. And they, become, they come up with this brilliant idea to make these gallows approximately 75 feet tall. In other words, I'm going to create something to murder you on 
for the entire city to be able to witness and see. We'll talk more about the gallows next week, the next couple of weeks. I don't want us to miss that. You know, I guess his homeowner's association didn't have restrictions against gallows. So he has them built that very evening because he's going to the king in the morning to have Mordecai hung on the gallows. Haman refused to see value in Mordecai. He refused to see value in Mordecai to the point that it's, he doesn't even care if he loses his life. He especially wants him to lose his life, but it's eventually going to lead to him losing his own life. You would be very hard-pressed to find a more stunning example of devaluing a human life than right here in this part. Then the advice of friends to have Mordecai killed. And then, I want you to have this guy killed, watch it, and then you're going to go to a feast prepared by the queen. That is just devaluing someone at its, at its finest there. So, is there any way that you are currently putting um, yourself before others? You know, I've said... In vacation Bible school, we learned a little thing where if you want true joy, you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. The problem is, I think we put ourselves before others a lot of the time. We think of ourselves pretty, you know, I'm pretty awesome. Pat yourself on the back. And um, we devalue people a lot. And I would just encourage you to think about those things in your life that, that you place as more important than other people. Um, and be able to look at that, recognize it, and do something about it. Here's what the church says. Uh, Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, considers others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Selfish ambition is going to drive Haman. It's going to drive him crazy. And there is zero evidence in this text that we can consider that he thought of anyone else but himself. Don't be like Haman. There are plenty of Hamans in this world today, especially in the U.S. of A. We cannot be used by God if we do these things. So I hope wherever you're at today, uh, the joy of the gospel, the joy of what Jesus has done for you will fuel your obedience to God. Um, that's the kind of life I want to live, and a life that can only be explained by God's favor in our lives. And that t- takes putting aside self and putting on Jesus and allowing him to work in our, in our life. Again, I'll end with this. The eyes of the Lord gladly give strong support to those whose heart is fully committed to him. And I hope we live that way. Let's pray.